Good afternoon. I'm Lewis Sweetley, Secretary and Member of the Board of Governors of City Club of Portland. It's my pleasure to welcome you to today's program. At its best, City Club is a place where civic exchange sparks action. And to that end, in place of a traditional tribal or land acknowledgement, we are opening programs with a call to action in support of Indigenous communities. While tribal acknowledgements are intended to honor lands, people, and tribes, they can often oversimplify tribal histories and fail to recognize the ongoing impacts of colonization that tribal communities and individuals of Indigenous descent live with to this day. That's why, today, we want to share with you this call to action, a practice that was developed by Indigenous, indigenous staff members at Ecotrust, and we also thank the Oregon chapter of the American Leadership Forum, which generously shared this practice with City Club. To support Indigenous people and tribes, you can take action in your community by advocating for and working to give land back to tribes, by protecting the environment and salmon, they are critical to tribal culture, by insisting that the United States respect tribal sovereignty and uphold its trust responsibility to tribes, which includes appropriate levels of federal funding to support tribal needs, by expecting civic leaders who serve you to understand tribal governments sovereignty, relationships, and law, by investing in tribal economies and supporting tribal-owned businesses, and by challenging and rejecting stereotypes about indigenous people, by insisting that your children and grandchildren are taught accurately about the histories, cultures, and contemporary lives of indigenous peoples in your school system, and by informing yourself about issues impacting indigenous communities and always speaking up. As you consider what it looks like to care for and better this place we all call home, we encourage you to do your part by taking these and other actions. And now to today's program. Today, City Club is hosting a debate between two current Multnomah County Commissioners, Jessica Vega-Peterson and Dr. Sharon Myron, vying to become our next Multnomah County Chair. Our general election is on Tuesday, November 8th, and ballots for the selection are being mailed today you can vote at any time up until 8 p.m. on November 8th. More than 100 years ago, City Club hosted its first public forums and debates. And while much has changed since then, City Club remains an independent and nonpartisan organization committed to providing a space for people to gather and discuss the critical issues confronting our communities. Now more than ever, City Club is committed to defending and expanding an open and inclusive public square. We support open dialogue where different perspectives can meet and move solutions forward. And even as we generate research and adopt positions as an organization, our members always represent a range of views on any given subject, and we wouldn't have it any other way. If this mission resonates with you, I invite you to join us as a member or donor today. Now, through Monday, October 31st, begin or renew a City Club membership at a special rate of just $10 per month or $120 per year. Visit pdxcityclub.org to learn more. City Club has been sustained through the generous support of our members, donors, partners, and sponsors. We are so grateful for the collective support from all of our supporters, and we hope you'll join them. We thank our community partners on today's program, including series partners Chevron and The Standard, and supporting partner Northwest Natural. Thanks also to our media partners, xray.fm and Open Signal for making this program accessible on public radio and television. And we wouldn't be here today without the incredible work of Bobby Regan and Maya Harris, the producers of today's debate, City Club's communications manager, Kayla Kennett, 
and the entire Fall 2022 Debates Committee. Last but not least, please join us again this Friday at 1.30 p.m. for our final debate of the selection season. We'll host a lively debate on statewide measure 114, the changes to firearm ownership and purchase requirements initiative. And now it's my very great pleasure to introduce and welcome John L. Bell, moderator for today's debate. John L. is founder and execu chief executive officer of Espousal Strategies, a boutique consultancy that provides government relations and stakeholder engagement services to businesses, private public partnerships, nonprofits, and government agencies. He's also chief of staff for the Portland Diamond Project, which hopes to bring Major League Baseball to Portland. John L. previously served as state field director for U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley and director of diversity and transit equity for TriMet. Early in his career, he was an advisor to Portland Mayor Tom Potter and Multnomah County Chair Ted Wheeler. Welcome to the City Club stage, John L. Thank you so much, Lewis, and welcome to City Club's Multnomah County Chair Debate, featuring two current Multnomah County Commissioners, Jessica Vega-Peterson and Dr. Sherry Myron. Before we begin, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of a friend, mentor, and longtime City Club and civic leader, Lynn Bergstein. Lynn joined City Club in 1977 and remained an active member for 45 years. His services on research committees and task forces helped to make Portland a better place. Lynn's advocacy, strategic counsel, and wit, and his presence will be deeply missed. We send our love to Betsy, his wife for 38 years, and his family during this difficult time. The Multnomah County government administers various local government functions for more than 800,000 residents of eight cities, including elections, justice and public safety, public health, behavioral health, and addiction services, services for seniors and people with disabilities, and property taxes. It also manages a variety of infrastructure assets, ranging from roads and bridges to libraries. One of two current county commissioners, either Jessica Vega-Peterson or Dr. Sherry Myron, will be charged with setting the vision and leading implementation for all of this. The county chair oversees 6,000 plus staff, dozens of community and civic partnerships, and a budget of nearly $3 billion. It's an important job. And therefore, an important decision for voters like you. Today is your opportunity to hear from both candidates directly and compare their positions and solutions to yours in real time. Find out who stands for what you care about and vote. We have about 75 minutes for this debate, and I know you are all eager to hear from the candidates, so let me outline the ground rules. Each candidate will have two minutes for an opening statement. Once the statements have concluded, We'll move on to my questions for the candidates, which include a lightning round. Once the moderated questions have concluded, the candidates will each ask one question to their opponent. From there, we'll move on to audience questions. City Club has solicited questions in advance from members and the community, and all viewers who registered on the City Club link were given the opportunity to ask a question. I will choose from these questions. One trademark of this debate is, that we're called, is what we're calling free speech passes. If a candidate would like to rebut a point made by their opponent, extend their own answer time, or clarify a response, the candidate simply needs to raise their hand and let me know. 
Each candidate has two passes worth 30 seconds each. Finally, we'll close the debate with a two-minute statement from each candidate. My intention is to distribute questions and time equally. However, as moderator, I reserve the right to ask for clarification should it be appropriate and helpful to the discussion. If I ask a clarifying questions, you have 20 seconds to respond. We flipped a coin to determine who would give opening remarks first. And Sharon, you have two minutes. Please begin. <clears throat> oh. Well, thank you so much to the City Club for hosting this forum and for everyone joining us in this room and online. I'm Sharon Myron, and I'm running for Multnomah County Chair because the work of the county is my life's work and passion. My experience over decades has prepared me to lead. I'm an ER doctor, a public health advocate, a mental health and addiction specialist, and provider of homeless street medicine. This is what the county does. We oversee health and human services. We're the local public health authority, the mental health authority, the board of health, and the director of the largest network of community health clinics in the state. This is the majority of where we spend our budget, and the chair is the CEO who writes that budget. It is $3.3 billion. She also sets the direction for the county, and I know we're going in the wrong direction because I see it on the front line, and I think it's what we see, all of us, when we walk out our doors. Thousands more people are living and dying on our streets, Drug addiction and overdoses are at an all-time high. Gun violence and murder rates are out of control. And these are public health crises, and they're literally killing us. As an ER doctor, I lead teams to triage emergencies. We stop bleeding, we resuscitate, and we put people on the road to recovery. That's what we need to be doing at the county, and that's the leadership I will bring as the county's next chair. In their article endorsing me published this morning, switching their endorsement, Willamette Week wrote, at the intersection of mental health, substance use treatment, and law enforcement, Myron has the established, established a high level of credibility, a decisive data-driven leader. If you want change, action, and accountability, I'm Sharon Myron, and I would be honored to have your vote. Thank you, and Jessica, we'll have to go. Thank you. Thank you, Janelle, and thank you, City Club, for having us here today for this event. To tell you a little something about, my family and I have lived in East Portland for the past 17 years. We've been in the same house on the same block in a rapidly changing community. East Portlanders are the frontline workers who kept us afloat during COVID. We have experienced some of the highest levels of gun violence and traffic fatalities in the county, and we do this while living in a part of the city that's ignored and underinvested. I ran my first campaign because of these inequities, on the lack of sidewalks and opportunities for my community. People came to support me, and we got sidewalks and a whole lot more for East Portland and Oregon. I bring that power-building approach to every issue I've ta tackled as an elected official. I bring people together to get big things done. I have the experience, the record of accomplishment, and the vision to meet this moment and lead Multnomah County in the right direction. That's why I have the broadest and deepest coalition of organizations and community leaders in this race who know I am the best person to lead Multnomah County forward. My track record as an elected official is hallmarked by my success in breaking new ground since my first day in office. 
As Oregon's first Latina representative, I passed the Coal to Clean Bill, a first in the nation law to transition off of coal-fired power. I also championed a first in the nation law to expand reproductive health access. At the county, I started the practice of bringing business leaders, community members, and schools together to engage deeply to successfully sell, site shelters in neighborhoods. And I led the work on Preschool for All, which is set a national standard for quality preschool. This is an inflection point, and the race for Multnomah County Chair is one of the most important on the ballot. From our houselessness crisis, to combating climate change, to increasing community safety, to fighting systemic racism. We need a county chair who is a proven collaborative leader, a capable leader who is ready to step into the job on day one and tackle the work in front of us. That's who I am, and that's why voters should elect me as the next Multnomah County Chair. Thank you both. Considering the responsibilities of the Multnomah County Chair, we have developed a series of questions related to this position. You have 90 seconds, you, you have 90 seconds to respond. At 90 seconds, please complete your sentence. Please know that if you continue beyond that, you will be muted and we will move on. Hopefully we won't have to do that today. Uh, so let's start off uh, with our first question. In recent polling, housing and homelessness are rated as a top concern for voters, with many looking or longing for a quick fix. What is Multnomah County's role in solving this issue and as chair, what will you do to tackle this issue? And Jessica, we'll start with you first. Yeah. So as Multnomah County Chair, addressing the housing and houselessness crisis will be my number one priority. I don't have to leave my block to know that this is a crisis that we are experiencing. I right now have at least six RVs that are parked from people who can't afford a place to live, who have no other path to get help and assistance. We have struggled too long under a system that has had been operating under scarcity, that has been operating um, with people moving in different directions with not an aligned outcome. As Multnomah County Chair, I will make sure that the county is a true partner in the work of addressing these issues. I will make sure that as County Chair, I meet with the mayor, with the Metro President, with all of the councils um, and commissions and advocate for how we can get real solutions in place, how we can work together. People shouldn't have to know what job is the county's, what job is the city's. They just need to know that government is working effectively to impact this. We need to do a much better um, work in addressing not just getting people into housing, which is critical, but bringing to bear the power of government to make sure that we are acting at scale to address this problem with the urgency and the resources that it deserves. That means master leasing at hotels. That means working with the private business community to see what are commercial spaces that we can turn into affordable residential housing. What hotels can people buy that can be turned into shelter and then long-term housing how we can make sure that we don't have barriers in place at the local and state level that are, um, um, that are having us not um, be able to get the housing built that we need. Thank you. Thank you. Sharon? Yes, thank you. So I wish there was a quick fix. There's not the quick fix, but there are things that we can do quickly to get people off of our streets living in squalor. So, and it's not about more meetings because we have had the meetings. I've been at those meetings and uh, I've been on the front line as a provider of medical services to people living outside. Here's what I would do the first 90 days in office. I will declare homelessness 
a public health crisis and coordinate an emergency response directly from the chair's office. I will rapidly get people from streets into shelter by quickly standing up an ecosystem of alternative shelter sites, helping people move, and meeting their needs. I will fast track Build for Zero, a nationally proven strategy to bring the number of people living on our streets outside toward zero. It's a common sense solution that ensures transparency and accountability for how the county spends billions in taxpayer dollars. And finally, I will overhaul the Joint Office of Homeless Services, a county department under the county chair's control because it must be much more effective in reducing homelessness. It has not lived up to the promise and I will be there to ensure change. Great, thank you both. Uh, and as a follow-up uh, to this question, uh, how is the role of the county different than the role of the city or state? And specifically, how will you establish a more uh, collaborative relationship with the mayor of Portland to ensure this issue is appropriately addressed by both jurisdictions? Uh, we'll start with you, Sharon. Um, so the beauty of this is um, about it's about collaboration, and I already have been having the meetings and talking about these various issues with our city commissioners, with the mayor, and I've had, I think, over, over 25 meetings already personally with all of our city commissioners about these very issues and with the mayor. So we, I get where they are coming from. We need to be collaborating. We do not have a joint Office of Homeless Services right now. We have a county Office of Homeless Services. We need to be working together to ensure this ecosystem and addressing homelessness like the crisis that it is. And I will not dismiss any approach to that out of hand. Um, I welcome the opportunity to, to connect with the mayor, to work on solutions on this ecosystem, including large sanctioned homeless sites, and with all of the commissioners to further our mutual goals. Great, thank you, Jessica. Yeah, thank you, Janelle. So um, as I said before, one of the really critical roles of the county chair is to use that the um, megaphone that we have and use the convening ability to make sure that we are working together with the city, with Metro, with the state, and even with our federal par partners. Um, I have already, um, I'm actually talking to the mayor about this today. This is our second meeting in two weeks to talk about the solutions that we need to come together to, to figure out how we are going to work together and exactly you know where we need to go in terms of um, who has responsibility for what. So this is something that I am already working on. I think one of the things is clear is that people are frustrated with um, not just the fact that people are not getting the assistance they need to move into housing to address their mental health and addiction issues, um, but there are also the impacts of trash and, um, and cleanliness issues, rats that we're seeing. Um, there's also the fact that um, I know I'm frustrated, I know many people are frustrated with the, that um, we currently aren't enforcing the laws around criminal activity that's taking place, whether it's selling drugs or running chop shots or the exploitation that's happening of vulnerable people who are living outside every day. This is where we need to have agreement between the county and the city that we are going to enforce rules that are there, but we are also gonna to work together productively to make sure that the solutions that we're putting in place have the support of the system of providers who are doing outreach, that we are working on navigation services, not just to get people into housing, but to get people IDs, to get people the medical help they need. These are all the things that the 
county does that's going to be imperative with um, whatever plans that the city has moving forward. And this is the work that I'm committed to doing. Great. Thanks to you both. Now we are going to move over to drug addiction, which is an issue that has plagued our community. OPB did a story in August about the new meth on our streets today and highlighting its increased potency. The headline read, meth has changed and it's sabotaging Oregon's mental health system. Oregon has the highest rate of meth use in the nation and we're seeing its impacts in Portland and across the state. Yet there doesn't appear to be a coordinated approach to address it. Oregon is also seeing a rapid increase in fentanyl overdoses. What is Multnomah County's role from a public safety, mental health, and housing standpoint in addressing the impacts of these and other drugs? And this time we'll start with Jessica. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is, you know, we have, um, we just have this crisis on our street with um, with addiction and with behavioral health services. So the role of the county is um, pretty expansive in this area. One, you know, as the um, mental health authority, as a county government that has a really strong behavioral health division, we have to be at the table with, its, with the state, um, with the CCO organizations, um, in making sure that the, the, the resources, the actual work that's being done is coordinated. So we are actually seeing a difference in, um, in, in what people are doing. The county chair also needs to be leader and an advocate at the state level to make changes that we need in law to make sure that we can serve people the right way. So I'm really proud of the work that the county has done so far in setting up new innovative things like the Downtown Behavioral Health Resource Center that is gonna be opening next month that is gonna give people a place where they can help stabilize, but it's also gonna have um, transitional beds and places for people who are experiencing severe behavioral health issues that aren't being successful in other shelters. We have to continue to do the work that we need in supporting um, culturally specific organizations who are doing deep work in community to make sure that people who face addiction issues um, are getting the help that they need in the way that they need it. And we have to continue to support our public safety system so the people that are selling drugs, the people who are responsible for having this out on our street are being accountable for what's what's happening there. So all of these things, the county chair, whether it's the work with the sheriff's department, with the other jurisdictions, with the state, are critical things that we need to keep working on. Great. Thank you. Sharon? So thank you. This is such an important question. Multnomah County's role is correctly... Um, we are, as Commissioner Vega-Peterson mentioned, the local mental health authority. And this is the area where the state has come to me as an expert in, as an emergency physician provider of these services, who sees people in the ER, who sees people on the street suffering from these illnesses, from meth, and is a leader in addressing how we can come to solutions to address the problem, not just keep talking about it, not talk about the culturally specific organizations that are going to respond to the needs of methamphetamine, but actually to dive in, do the work that we need to get done. I came to the county as a leader in changing how our state addressed the opioid crisis, which I continue to do at the county, but also crying out for us to address meth, thinking the county is where we can have this role. And it has been because the chair oversees the county public health department. Public health has not focused on this. Our mental health division is not focused. We do not have any leadership, any expertise, or any plans regarding meth at this time. I have them in line. I have the endorsements of 
the leaders in these issues in healthcare, in our CCOs, in our mental health systems, and I know how to get a treatment system in place for meth. Thank you both. Uh, we now go to a topic that is deeply personal for so many, especially uh, men of color in our county. Uh, homicides in our county are at an all record high with a disproportionate amount of these deaths affecting black and brown men in our community. What is the county's role in helping to reverse the escalation of gun violence and creating safe communities where all can thrive? Sharon, we'll start with you. Thank you. So the, the county's role is uh, essential in addressing the surge in deaths from gun violence, particularly in uh, African-American men and communities of color. And part of the problem has been that we need a holistic system of public safety to address the issue. And right now, we have the opposite of that. We have a lot of the system within the purview of the county. So we have behavioral health. We oversee the sheriff's office, the jails. We budget for the DA's office, parole, probation. What's missing from that holistic picture to budget and ensure response is law enforcement. So the police are under the purview of the city. And that makes it difficult to, to come up with a holistic response for safety. In the short term, we do need more emphasis on de-escalation, moving into community, community-based support to prevent the violence that's occurring on our streets and in our communities. But in the longer term, we also need to be doing the work to ensure that we have a system in place that's a holistic public safety system. And I've been speaking with the leaders being, I have been at all of the meetings to talk about how we put that together holistically to address all of our public safety needs. Just to follow up, what specifically is the county's role within the context of Thank the system? <laughs> um, the county's role is, number one, as, like I said, we oversee all of those. Everything aside from law enforcement is ours. So preventive. We have behavioral health under our purview, domestic violence, parole, probation, directly under our purview. We partner with the sheriff's office and budget so we can create systems for connection and support in community. I've worked particularly with um, a visionary, Joe McFerrin, who has been doing incredible work in the community to develop public safety workers and people who are from community, connect with community experience these things to address the issues um, in ways that, that only they can connect in that way. Great, so thank you, thank you. That's what we need to do. Jessica? Yeah, so um, when we talk about gun violence, this is something that's incredibly personal. In summer of 2020, I actually witnessed a shooting right in front of my house. And I firmly believe that when we talk about community safety, when we talk about public safety, we have to go beyond law enforcement. It requires us to also address the root causes of social conflict in order to prevent instances of violence and conflict. And this is where the county has a really critical role. We are able to, through our budget and um, through the tables that we sit at, really um, look at this issue from a, a myriad of ways. So as chair, I will expand the capacity of our community-based organizations to do the necessary work to reduce gun violence 
and the perpetuation of incarceration. The um, work that um, Sharon was talking about with Joe McFerrin, that is actually a budget amendment that I had in our budget a couple years ago to fund the, the village, which is uh, a grassroots um, funding of organizations who are really doing some um, intervention and mentoring work with people in the community who are or might be impacted by gun violence. As Chow also um, increased the coordination between the county departments, like our Department of Community Justice, which does parole and probation, our health department and DCHS, with the city of Portland's Office of Violence Prevention, um, the Multnomah County uh, District Attorney's Office, our Sheriff's Department, to really make sure we're collaborating together successfully to address these issues. I will also make sure we're doing collaborative bu uh, budgeting within the county department so that we are leveraging all of our resources. Um, we also need to get more guns off our streets, so I will continue to support funding for the Sheriff's Gun Dispossession Violence Team. And I look at addressing how we can further address the root causes of um, these issues by looking at things like financial stipends and other interventions. Great, thank you. Uh, we're gonna stick with uh, public safety and criminal justice for just a bit. This is so in, uh, important to our uh, collective community. Uh, the Multnomah County Sheriff and Multnomah County District Attorney are independently elected positions, yet the Multnomah County Commission controls the budgets of these organizations. Today, these jurisdictions independently request their budget from the county, rather than jointly creating a comprehensive public safety budget for your consideration. Given the escalating violence in our county, as well as a current backlog of cases working their way through the courts, is there a more efficient approach to financing the county's public safety system? And we'll start with you, Jessica. Okay, I think I just answered part of this question with my last answer where I said, we have to start doing collaborative budgeting at the county for all of the public safety investments that we have, whether it's for our health department, our Department of County Human Services, the district attorney's office, the sheriff's department, right? We have to make sure that we are leveraging the taxpayer dollars to get the most impactful ways and making sure that we're measuring programs by their outcomes and making sure that everybody involved in these knows what's going on so that the system can work more effectively. I've heard about um, times where you know, there's a program that has been started in one department that the district attorney's office didn't know about. So they aren't sure, like, if the people coming through their doors are somebody that they should be aware of in a program. So we need to change that. Um, we also need to make sure that the district attorney and our sheriff's department have the resources and the training that they need to address gun violence and other serious threats to public safety. And so we, you know, I take very seriously looking at where we are in terms of the size of our county and the resources we have in those two departments. I've already had several conversations um, with the district attorney about this, and that's something that I'm committed to doing as chair. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the gun dispossession team, but when we're looking at um, gun violence, when we're looking at how we can, um, you know, interact with people on that level, the training there is going to be just as important for the, for the work of the high, entire sheriff's department. And it's really good to know that um, both our sheriff and the incoming sheriff are really um, committed to that. I will say that um, with the court system, we have to, you know, this is a place where we have a role in helping to budget this. This is a state issue, but we have to make sure that um, our courts are also included in all of this work so that um, the way that they're interacting with our system um, shows up in the right way. Great, thank you, Sharon. Thank you, and I think that that is such a great question you raise about the efficiency we can have in budgeting for these offices given these independent elected roles, and it's about, to me, about collaboration. And um, I've collaborated with our sheriff currently on improving a having a mental health system within our um, within our jails and corrections so that we are able to address the needs 
um, of the criminal justice system, which are not being met. I've worked with our DA to get in our budget um, neighborhood DAs who can work with communities and directly connect uh, to ensure that there are relationships established so that DAs, victims advocates, can be in community to work with them to address the violence in the community. And in terms of the courts, I absolutely agree, they are left out of the equation. And I have worked very closely in convening all of our judges in our specialty courts and talking to them. They um, just reached out to me recently to say, what can we do? We are experts, we see this on the front line. How can we be part of the solution as well? And so I have brought them in to the process. It is about collaboration, connection, and bringing expertise to bear. And I will continue to do that as chair and ensure that we are not um, adversaries in arguing for budget, but we are partners in working to establish budgets that support all of our missions together. Thank you both. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the role of public defenders in our system. Uh, while funding for prosecutors working in the district attorney's office falls to the county, funding for public defenders falls to the state. Yet without more public defenders, our county jails are housing those arrested for a crime for a long period of time before they go to trial. What role can the county chair play in ensuring that those arrested in Multnomah County are provided with a public defender in a reasonable period of time, easing our current court backlog? <laughs> We'll start with you, Jessica. Yeah, I mean, this is this is part of the the way that the system isn't working well, and we're having people who are staying in jail for um, much longer than they need. Um, we're putting at risk the prosecution of cases because people are not having their constitutional right to a public defender, right? So this is having a, an impact right now. They are making some um, headway in the backlog right now, but there's more that needs to be done. You know, um, I'm glad that there has been um, a, conven a convening at the state level of looking at this issue. I think that work needs to continue. But I really think we need to look at um, ways that public defenders are funded in states outside of Oregon for some of the solutions. If you look at Washington state, um, if you look at some of the other states, they actually fund things at the county level and they ensure that they have the necessary funding at the local level to um, to to. Um, realize the issues and to help with the number of cases that's there. And I think that's critically important when you look at Oregon, because we know that um, it costs more, right, to live in the Portland metro area than it does in some of the other areas of the state. But we're, we're not really seeing enough differentiation in how much we're paying our public defenders from county to county. So that's one way. We need to attract more people into this profession, and we need to make sure that um, these people who are, you know, having criminal cases against them have the representation that they are entitled to. Um, so I look forward to, again, as county chair, of being a really strong advocate, the voice at the state level as this um, conversation moves forward, um, and say that we're not going to just you know, do what we did. We have to look beyond our boundaries for solutions. Thank you. Sharon? Thank you for this question. I have been really delving into this, working with some of our, uh, our local public defenders about this because I see how it is impacting people living outside on our streets and our community as a whole. It's not just people that are being kept in jail because of lack of, of a public defender. It is about people being released and are out or not even being, um, being booked in the first place because there is not 
a public defender who can represent them. This is a constitutional issue. And in speaking with our public defenders um, locally uh, and the work we can do at the state, they feel that this does need to be a state-regulated system, but they're looking at the fact that they are paid, I mean, uh, the amount that they are paid to do the incredible work that they do is, is a pittance, literally a fraction of what they can be paid as uh, an attorney in private practice. Even the DAs are paid substantially more. So it's, it's not a matter of um, just changing who owns this. It's a matter of working with the state to say, how can we support public defenders in our system to ensure that people are represented effectively? And how do we get them more uh, allocation of resources, not just funding, but the money's important, but also the services and support they need in their offices to be effective? Great, thank you both. And now let's talk a little bit about charter. That's in the news these days. <laughs> A few days ago, the Portland City Club hosted a debate around Portland City Charter ch uh, changes forwarded to the ballot by a citizens commission. A separate charter commission developed a number of proposed changes to the county uh, uh, charter. All will be on our November ballot. The seven county charter changes ranged from replacing gender binary language in the county constitution with gender neutral uh, terms uh, to far more comprehensive issues such as extending voting rights to non-citizens, adopting ranked choice voting in elections for county positions, or adding an ombudsperson function in the county auditor's office. Are there any proposed county charter changes that you support? And as a follow-up, are there any proposed changes that you oppose? And we'll start with you, Sharon. So I um, have a pretty extensive description and link to my comments on this from our board meeting uh, where we evaluated these issues and heard a briefing um, that are on my website at the county, Sharon, uh, Sharon Myron .org, or .us, also on my website as a candidate, Sharon at votesharon.com. I have not, I did not oppose the changes uh, and in fact, I supported the vast majority, was neutral on, um, I think about ranked choice voting just because there's a, still trying a bit to figure that out. But, uh, and there's potential con conflict with the city's charter amendments. But where I was very clear in support is where, um, uh, my colleague and the chair, the current county chair, actually testified against um, an accountability measure proposed by the auditor, which was to put an ombudsperson to represent um, community interests separately and apart from the county in our charter. And um, I think that that is one area I feel very strongly about that I have proposed um, a number of measures we can take to ensure accountability and impartiality, which is the role, um, an, an essential role in government, and where I very strongly support. Thank you. Jessica? Thank you. So I, um, I am supportive of, of all of the county's charter amendments. I think there are a few in there that are really critically important as we look at like how we extend democracy and how do we make sure that we're creating equitable county government. Um, the gender neutral language changes 
<clears throat> excuse me, it's the smoke. Yes. <clears throat> the gender neutral language is being one of them. Um, expanding um, voter enfranchisement is another one. I think that when you look at the demographics of children who are in our schools today, the, the growing number of immigrant and refugee children, the fact that parents don't have a vote in what's happening with their school systems isn't fair. So I don't know how far we're going to be able to go with that, but the, the Charter Amendment um, is actually talking about how, um, let's take a look at what is legally possible. I think there's going to have to be state changes if that would actually go forward. Um, Around the, um, the ombudsman office, you know, I am concerned about all of the things that we're putting in charter because the only way you can change something that's on the charter, it's through a vote of all of the um, citizens in Multnomah County. And we've seen um, already, in fact, we're experiencing right now some of the ways that things that are in the charter may need to be tweaked, um, but they can't be tweaked because they're in there. And so one of the things is that... Um, there's actually a definition of what the ombudsman can and cannot do and areas where they can and cannot work um, that is being put forward to be in the charter. And that, um, you know, makes me nervous about having something that concrete in there. I have been, and I told the auditor, I'm very supportive um, of the ombudsman and just really concerned, you know, because of what we're seeing with current um, charter limitations. Great. Thank you. Monoma County is committed to leading with race. Uh, what does that mean to you and how will this be reflected in your decisions if you're elected as chair? And we'll start with you, Jessica. Yeah, so, you know, we just have had a couple of board briefings um, that really were about the rededication of the county to our workforce equity strategic plan. And one of the fundamental um, um, values in there is inclusively leading with race. We know when we look about at um, the impacts of being black, indigenous, other people of color um, within Multnomah County as an organization or within our wider population, that we see disparity after disparity after disparity, whether it's in our justice system, whether it's in um, environmental and climate impacts, whether it's in economic impacts. So for me as a county chair, for me as a Latina, this is something that is incredibly important um, and would be um, you know, a center of the work that I do. I, have, I said in these board briefings, we can't just have um, people at the county who have equity in their job description working on these issues. Everyone at the county who's working there needs to um, have equity as a part of their of the jobs that are doing. It's too important to how we serve people. Um, it also means that we need to be accountable for what we're doing in terms of hiring, in terms of training, in terms of supporting people as they move into management, um, to really make sure that we are lifting up um, our black, indigenous, and people of color employees and making sure that they have the tools, the resources, and a support structure support system to thrive in Multnomah County. It also means that as we look at issues like public safety, as we're looking at who we're partnering with, who we're funding in our county contracts, as we're looking at the construction jobs that we do, that we're leading with equity in terms of really making sure that people who are impacted um, by, the, by the issues at hand are at the table and they are part of the solution and part of benefiting the work from, that the county's doing. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much for that question. Yes, we just had very intense, um, really um, profound, powerful board briefings about these issues. And what struck me um, is that, yes, a fundamental value uh, in our county for our employees and our in our county culture, which will translate to our external culture, is leading with race. And what really struck me yesterday was that the fact that... Um, 
five years into this after spending millions of dollars on a system to address workforce equity, what the um, leader now of the department has said is like, we don't even have a definition that is a shared understanding of what it means to lead with race. Similarly, we don't have a plan to centralize this work, figure out how it is dispersed. These are basics to how we actually change a culture, what we can do to lead with race, which clearly is so important at our county. And all of the work we do, homelessness, public health, um, climate change, access to technology, people of color are most impacted by, um, have been the most negatively impacted by our systems in our communities. And these disparities, which already existed, were highlighted by COVID. We need to change our culture, but we need an effective way to do it. And as chair, I will ensure policies that don't take another five years to answer basic questions. Great, thank you. And now for our uh, final structured question, then we'll get into our lightning round. Uh, Multnomah County has instituted a 1.5% business income tax on net profits for businesses operating in the county. The city of Portland also imposes a business income tax. Given that many small businesses are still attempting to recover from COVID-related downtime and hardships, uh, would you consider a suspension of this tax for a period of time to help boost the county's economy? And we'll start with you, Sharon. Thank you. Um, huh, that's it. So right now, as we are trying to emerge from the COVID pandemic and get our businesses back on their feet, particularly our local small businesses um, who I've who I've worked closely with, um, you know, I've been asked about whether we need to increase the, you know, whether I would increase the tax on businesses, which the answer is no, we need that time to stabilize. Um, not been asked about, uh, about whether to put that on a hiatus. And I, I would want to talk very, um, intentionally and deeply with our business community, with our chief financial officer, with um, those uh, that do this work at the county in our um, offices of finance so that I could understand the implications of that. But right now I would say, I would say no, um, just given that uh, we have so much work to do and that these, these taxes fund our essential services we need to be providing to community. Um, but I, I actually don't know the answer to that question right now. I would need to ask the experts. Great, thank you. Jessica. Yeah, thank you. Um, no, I would not suspend the business income tax um, at this point. You know, um, we have just been through a two-year pandemic. We are three-year pandemic now going on. Um, and we are looking at um, changes, economic changes that we don't know about yet. But what I do know is that the business income tax is really like one of the second largest um, ways that we get our general fund dollars. And it does fund critical services that people are relying on today, especially when we have um, things like um, rental assistance from the federal level, child um, tax credits that are really... Um, um, going, you know, going away at the federal level, we can't, you know, that would be such a shock to our system. And 
in some of the reforms that we did to the business income tax just a couple of years ago, we removed many of our smallest businesses from um, having to pay our um, business income tax. So we're really looking at those um, folks who are earning the income at the level where they can afford to, to support our services, to support the work that the county does with, with this. Um, we, one of the changes that we also did with our um, business income tax was really make sure that it was set up to be fair for our East County cities um, in the amount of dollars that they were getting from this. So it's not just Multnomah County, but it's also our East County cities that rely on this as a source of revenue. And I don't think you can contemplate any changes um, to that without having them included in that conversation. You know, as things change in our economy in the years ahead, I'm always open to looking at um, possibilities. But for today, my answer is no. Great. Thanks to you both. Uh, we now start the lightning round. Uh, for the lightning round, I will ask a series of questions. Uh, please respond with one word or one short sentence. So points for brevity. So uh, question, the first question is, uh, do you support statewide measure uh, 114, uh, which would mandate a, permanent, a permit to purchase firearms, including a background check? and would prohibit the purchase or possession of ammunition magazines greater than 10 rounds. We'll start with you, Jessica. Hell yes. Okay, Sharon. Strongly. Very good. Um, next question is, name one thing you respect about your opponent. We'll start with you, Sharon. Um, her, uh, her dedication. Great, Jessica. I really respect that Sharon cares so deeply about the issues um, that she's that she works on, and uh, her passion really comes through in everything she does. And up to three words describe yourself. We'll start with you, Jessica. Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, curious, uh, dedicated, and um, I don't know, a big reader. Like that's like <laughs> <laughs> great, uh, Sharon. Um, I would say. Authentic, uh, integrity, and systems thinker. It's like a hyphenated word. Great. So. I love these questions. This is awesome. Uh, so now each candidate was asked to prepare a question for uh, the other. Uh, please ask your question in 30 seconds or less and pose this as a question. Uh, your opponent will have 60 seconds to respond. Uh, Jessica, what's your question for Sharon? Okay. So being the county chair requires you to work on a huge portfolio of issues from veteran services, senior services, um, child services, from health, mental health, public health, from um, looking at collecting our taxes, all of these things. I have led efforts to bring about system changes that are in effect right now at the state and local levels on a variety of issues. After six years in office, you don't have a single signature accomplishment. You talk about leading on issues like the frequent user system engagement, but your name is nowhere to be found on the 2021 report about this issue. Can you point to three things you've led on as an elected official that have gone from plan to reality? I can I ask for a just clarification? What do you mean by from plan to reality? Like, like from a concept or an idea into like implementation and, and, impact, and effective and being in effect. Okay, sure. So um, I uh, have led in, one thing is I don't need my name to be affixed to a like a, shiny new object in order to consider myself successful in these efforts. But I have um, 
were partnered with Commissioner Dan Ryan to get Built for Zero adopted in the county, which is the only um, data-driven uh, mechanism to uh, address unsheltered homelessness and build towards zero in a way that has been um, proven in multiple jurisdictions throughout the state and was challenged by uh, current leadership. Um, I have indeed brought FUSE, Frequent User Systems Engagement, to fruition because of my leadership in pushing it through and getting the analysis done based on my work at the state level, successfully implementing at all hospitals, frequent emergency department utilization systems and information sharing to reduce emergency department utilization, coordinate care, get better care, and save millions, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars to hospitals, which we can do at the county with FUSE. And- Maybe, uh, maybe two more seconds. Okay. Yeah. Bringing uh, um, and getting alternative shelter adopted at the county, bringing the city and county together to okay. adopt this effective mechanism that can actually has been proven Thank you. To end unsheltered homelessness. And now for your question for Jessica. Sharon? Yeah, so this is something that goes back actually a while, um, and I have wondered about for a long time, but didn't think it was worth bringing up unless in the context of, of leadership um, and, uh, and processes and how we, um, how we lead. And it is that in 2017... We were uh, tasked with appointing a new state representative. It was a Republican seat that was vacated. We do this with three other two other county jurisdictions. And um, the person who you supported very, um, very clearly was Stan Pulliam. And that was despite the fact that he spoke out he was the only candidate that spoke out against your signature issue at the time immigration during the time of Trump, he was the only one who said, no, I would not support Oregon as- Question, please. Yes, as a sanctuary city, a sanctuary state. And I'm just curious what your thinking was behind that, why you supported him. Because, I, because this is an area that I think um, I wanted to make sure that when we're looking at these appointment processes, we're looking at the not just what we're doing for this district, but what we're doing that is going to have impact in the state overall. Um, and this is, this is a situation where I feel like we had an opportunity to have this district be um, a part of the um, broader work that's happening to be more progressive and to be more um, representative of what was going to be having in that district. So um, originally I did support STAM to try to help um, with that, but eventually um, I ended up supporting, because I believe it was unanimous, um, the person who was finally appointed to that. I do think that um, that you know what we saw is that that district actually did um, change and become more representative of, of the area, and, um, and that was a really important thing. Great, thank you both for that. Uh, it is now time for audience questions. As noted earlier, City Club solicited questions in advance. I have chosen which to ask. You have 60 seconds to respond. The first question is Erica who asks, do you believe public campers' rights are equal to or greater than the rights of taxpaying citizens and business owners? Do you believe the right to camp outweighs the right to a safe and sanitary space in which to run? your business. And we will start with you, Sharon. Thank you. I mean, my short answer would be no. Um, 
the, I don't know if I even need to give additional information, but I do believe, as I've always, always said, um, and where one of the achievements I've had has been in providing alternative places for people to go, there have to be places where people, for safety, for health reasons, for all kinds of reasons, places people cannot be. But if we are having people move from those places, we need to give them places not only that they can be, but that aren't a Hobson's choice. We have to give options of places for people to be that they want to be, where they will be, will be safer and healthier than they are now, while we're working toward longer-term solutions. So um, in that context, we, you know, and we can do this. And I believe the city will be a partner, our East County jurisdictions. I look forward to working on that as chair. Great, thank you. And now you, Jessica? Yes, I absolutely believe that people who are living outside do have the same rights. Um, just because they're experiencing homelessness doesn't mean that their humanity, that the rights that they have to exist are any less than anyone else's. Um, we have too much of a really bad history in this country of saying that people are less than human. And I don't think that we want Portland, Oregon, we don't want Multnomah County to be a place where that is different. I will say that, um, you know, I think people are frustrated. I think people are really um, upset about the lack of um, response from government in a right way to the effects that we're seeing of camping, whether it is people who are flagrantly violating the law and, um, and um, selling drugs or running cop shop, uh, chop shops. And I believe that businesses do have a right to expect that trash is going to be picked up, that people who are experiencing, um, you know, behavioral health crises, addiction issues, have a place to go for um, that and that the government's going to be a part of it. So the, the things are broken right now. People, you know, we need to do a better job, absolutely. But no, I do not think people are less than. Can I use one of my free speech passes? Yes, please. I would just, I would just ask for you to um, identify, you said businesses um, uh, do, do have a right for safety. Um, the trash needs to be picked up. Uh, people need the place to go for behavioral health. What is your solution to any of those? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of those. First of all, you know, we need to figure out what we um, can do in order to get um, trash picked up with the city. If the county needs to be a better partner in helping to find some of that, that is a discussion I'm totally open to. Um, we have to make sure that um, we have... Um, places where people can go that they can get treatment when they are in crisis. Um, if it's an addiction issue, especially with meth, we need to make sure that there is um, a detox center, a place where they can decompress and we need to make sure our state laws say that we can have people be there while in the time that it takes. So that's going to take coordination um, with the city. It's a place where the county is leading on, but we also need the state to be a partner with that. Great. Next uh, question is from Frank, who asks, what are both candidates' opinions on diverting more resources from housing first to establishing shelters? What can be done so shelters don't have a negative impact on the neighborhoods? And we'll start with you, Jessica. Yeah, so, you know, the county has actually opened more shelters um, since the pandemic than any other, like, government has done. And so, you know, that is something where um, I think that we have to have places where people can go off the street 
um, safely. We also have to make sure that what we're opening is places where people want to go. We can't force people to go um, someplace where it's if they're not going to be um, safe and healthy there. The congregate shelters are not the right option for a lot of people. I talked to somebody who was experiencing homelessness at one point who said they'd rather be in jail than be in a congregate shelter. So looking at um, the $5 million that we had in our budget, like two and a half years ago um, that were about setting up alternative shelters, um, that was a step in the right direction. Having hotels where we can have people close doors and have and staffing on place to provide them the services they need, um, that, is a, that is a really important option. But our North Star has to get, be getting people into uh, permanent housing with the supports that they need to be successful. And um, that is something where we're going to have to work um, very closely with the city, with the state, and the federal government to get the resources we do that, whether that's long-term rental assistance dollars um, or whether that's making sure that we have the permitting so that we can get more affordable housing. Great. Sharon? Uh, thank you for this question. Um, so for me, it is not even necessarily about diverting funds. It's about using county resources wisely, taxpayer dollars, um, and we, are, we don't even have an accounting or transparency of how we're using that money. We need to be able to follow the money. That's something I've been calling for. And the status quo, the party line, has been the counties open more shelters than ever before. That's an excuse. It is a diversion from what the real issue is, which is there are thousands of people, almost double the number since before the pandemic, living on our streets. That is an urgent public health crisis that's not something that we've addressed. And to say we have more shelters is actually missing the whole point of this. And so I say we need shelters where people can be safer or healthier um, while we're working on longer term solutions. And that program that Commissioner J Vega Peterson pointed to is one that I negotiated between the city and county and I'm very proud of. Thanks to you both. Uh, Barbara asked, the current campaign finance laws for Multnomah County include a cap that covers both the primary and general elections as one campaign cycle. If a candidate is forced to spend significantly to make it to the general election, they have no money left to do mailers in the general election. I have received no campaign info from either of you. <laughs> and that's true, which is unusual for this time of year, let me just say. Uh, do we need to change the law to allow for separate caps for the primary versus general elections? And Sharon, we'll start with you first. <laughs> this is a great question. And um, I was a very strong advocate for campaign finance reform. And I believe strongly in campaign finance reform to avoid corruption in um, running for public office. And uh, that being said, $500 for the entire campaign is not enough to run a major campaign with mailers reaching out to TV, wherever those places are. Does mean we have to use our limited resources very effectively. So watch out for, you know, over the coming few weeks, you will get information. Um, but there needs to be a rational approach um, to ensuring that there is information effectively shared with voters, and not just mailers, which are not necessarily the best source of information, but debates such as this. We need to encourage our public forums to get the candidates out there and have conversations, deep conversations, not a minute, you're going to cut me off, see right now, but, um, but the ability to have real conversations about topics of interest to our public. Great. Thank you. Jessica? 
Yeah, so thank you, Barbara, for this great question. Um, so this is an area where Sharon says admits she was a leader on this, and like the 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 details and the implementation have just not panned out. And this is what I was referring to earlier. When we have things in our charter that really require are going to require a, a vote of the entire county in order to change them, but there are things that um, if you look if you bring every the people that to the table of how they're impacted, that makes sense. But right now we do have that limitation. So I've already talked to at least one of my colleagues about things that we can do to make the system better because right what I'm really afraid of is that right now it is shown that the limits are, are currently like not allowing people to run effectively and that puts it at risk for not being constitutional. Um, I don't want to throw everything else but so we need to Yes, have limits um, that are different for the primary and for the general. The fact that there's the same limit for the county chair that's running countywide and a commissioner who's running just in a district doesn't make sense. So those are the things that I have. But I will say that the way that they're set up right now is that people like my opponent who have means can put tens of thousands of dollars, $30,000 into their own campaign fund when people who don't have those resources can't. And right now it's limiting democracy for only those that can pay for it. And that's not fair. Warren asks, why don't we have a, quanti a quantitative and qualitative annual homeless report card on our progress in this area? This is uh, an area that every poll in the region continues to rank as number one. Why aren't we measuring it better? Jessica. Yeah, we are, we are not doing enough. We are doing a horrible job of um, capturing the data of being transparent with that data, communicating that data to the public, and making sure um, that we are held accountable to the outcomes we have of giving people housing and keeping people housed. Um, one of the things that the Supporting House of Housing Services measure does is allow us to really invest in the system of providers that we have, that they have the training, that they have the ability to pay their workers um, enough money to stay in the field, um, and then and make sure that they're getting the data that we need in a, cons a consensus uh, in a uniform way to have that data then be implemented. Um, my opponent talks about Built for Zero. That is a really good tool, and that is a tool that we can put into effect. It is not a system, it is not a solution, but it is part of the work that we need to do in order to make sure um, that things, that information is being tracked and the county needs to be, do a better job of making sure that things are transparent. And I will say that um, the models that I'll look at are some of the big cities like Houston, like Seattle, that are doing work right now that are actually making an impact and showing that impact. Thank you. Sharon? Um, I Warren's question is a question I've been asking um, for years. At the county, when I've got a peek behind the curtain, and uh, where the chair does control data and outcomes and how we do this work. I was very gratified to work with my partner, Commissioner Dan Ryan, in getting Built for Zero passed, which actually, it's, it's not a solution. It is a tremendous tool to be able to get what Warren is questioning. Why don't we have a report card on our progress? We do not have a count of how many people are living unsheltered on our streets right now. We don't what, know what they need. We don't know what it would even take to invest what resources we do have to get to what we need. And so Build for Zero is the only accountability mechanism that's been introduced that is from me right now. Um, my opponent is very, uh, is very happy about where it's going, how we're doing that work. I am not, I'm calling it out. And for the supportive housing services measure, it says we can invest in these systems we have. There's no accountability in that. That's what we need. 
I want to use my, Please. I don't know, red card, whatever it is. <laughs> um, so I have that uh, question about Built for Zero. You say I'm very happy with the direction. That's actually not true. Um, when I referred to Seattle, I referred to Houston, right? Houston has been this model of where they have effectively gotten people housed um, and they know what they're doing. They don't use Built for Zero. In fact, in Texas, the only two cities that do are Abilene and Lubbock. Built for Zero has mostly been used around very small communities. So I have a lot of skepticism about how this is going to be scaled. So can you tell me how the Built for Zero program is going to be scaling to a city and a county of the size that we have? Yes, this is exactly why I'm running for chair. And how much it's going to cost to do the work that you need to gather the data in that way. Um, well, this is, again, why I'm running for chair. We do not have any mechanism to collect this data right now, and I've seen this as someone working on the front line in homelessness, working with our outreach providers that you, you've said need more resources. Um, we're just saying we don't even know where the people are. There is not a baseline, and for any, any model of improvement or assessment or accountability, we need to have a baseline of where we are in order to move forward. So it doesn't have, you know, built for zero is a very, um, it's a very compact way to talk about what is a common sense concept, which is setting a baseline so that we are able to assess our progress over time and knowing that we're reaching our goals. But how are you going to make it work at scale? You didn't answer that question. I, it, maybe, maybe, what, I don't, I'm not sure. Seconds, like, what do you mean uh, uh, scale? Answer, and then we're going to um, the same way that you make it work, uh, it, we need to collect data, whether it's at a small county, a large county, there are all kinds of counties that use by name list that are large, small, in between. It might not be under the name built for zero, but we have to collect the data regardless, and there are mechanisms to Sorry, do that. I'll, I'll thank you both for that exchange. Very important issues in this uh, debate here. Uh, it is now time for closing statements. Sharon gave the first opening statement and will now give the first closing statement. You have 90 seconds. Let me find my closing statement. Sorry. Um, sorry. I'm going to find it just so I make sure I say everything I want to say. Um, all right. Thank you. Two minutes? Oh, two minutes each now. So Yay. got a little bit more time. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much, Janelle, and again to um, City Club and to everyone who's tuned in today. Multnomah County is the local health care authority, basically. We oversee the largest clinical health network in the state. We need a health care leader as chair. We need a decision maker who knows how to act and move forward with urgency on health issues, on public health issues like homelessness, gun violence, mental health crisis intervention, uh, intervention. A leader who is not afraid to speak out against the status quo and speak uncomfortable truths when we need to. We need a leader who can admit when what we are doing is not working so we can get down to business and do things differently. A leader who is not tied to a political party, who is working well with both Portland City Council and leaders in Gresham, Troutdale, Fairview, Wood Village already, where I have multiple endorsements, including the mayor of Troutdale, the mayor of Wood Village, uh, and city councilors in those regions. 
Leaders made significant improvement in Multnomah County's mental health, addictions, public safety, and a leader who recognizes we need to do so much more. My life's work, experiences, and skills will, will serve Multnomah County better than my opponents at this moment in time. I'm an ER doctor with a background in corporate law, and that is a great qualification for CEO of an institution that oversees healthcare and human services, a $3.3 billion budget. Um, it is not being a career politician with a passion for preschool getting a measure passed. We need someone who is in charge of the state's public health provider, who is someone who leads. As a doctor I, in the ER, I triage. I know how to treat crises with urgency. It's what we need right down, now for our crises, homelessness, meth addiction, gun violence. I'm Dr. Sharon Myron. I ask for your vote. And please visit votesharon.com for lots of detailed information. Thank you. And now you, Jessica. Thank you, Janelle. Thank you, City Club. Um, and thank you, everyone who is watching this today. I know you are watching this because you care about Multnomah County and you want to see strong and bold leadership in your next Multnomah County chair. A chair that not only sees and can talk about and complain about our challenges, but can weave together a coalition and get actual solutions in place. That is why I am running for county chair, because that is what I have been doing in our community for the past two decades. And I have never done it alone. My leadership always starts with a broad table by those, including those people most impacted by the issues at hand. In the next four years, Multnomah County is going to have to meet its challenges using proven and collaborative leadership. We are facing problems of the size and the complexity that absolutely require it. From championing policies like paid sick leave, pay equity, um, raising the minimum wage, getting coal out of our energy mix, raising our clean fuel standard, creating universal preschool, which is having an impact on almost 700 children and dozens and dozens of workers already this year. I have created systemic change at both the state and the local levels. I have never said that I can not get something done because I didn't have the right position. Instead, I fought with the tenacity to maximize the impact that I could have and get results that people are craving. As a Latina, as a mother, as an East Portland resident, and a business professional, I also have the life experience to lead with compassion and bring more voices to the table. My history of getting things done has led to a backing of a wide range of organizations and community leaders from Ask Me, Portland Firefighters, Apano, Latino Network Action Fund, Imagine Black, Each County Rising, Oregon Working Families Party, Pro-Choice Oregon, Sierra Club, Oregon League of Conservation Voters, The Oregonian, and so many, many more. You can see more and my plans at jessicavegapeterson.com. I received 42% of the votes in the primary election, and I have only increased the number of people supporting me and my commitment to leading Multnomah County transparently, cooperatively, and effectively. I would be proud to have the support of all of you watching here today, and I ask for you this vote for November to become your next Multnomah County Chair. Thank you both. Uh, that concludes our candidate debate. Thank you, Jessica Vega-Peterson and Dr. Shira Myron for being with us and for answering our questions. Thank you again to City Club sponsors Chevron, The Standard, and Northwest Natural for making this event possible. And thank you to City Club for giving me the opportunity to moderate this debate. To all those viewing, thank you, and please go out and vote. Vote now. Vote as often as you can. <laughs> Our general election is on Tuesday, November 8th. Ballots for this election are being mailed today. 
You can vote at any time up until 8 p.m., but don't wait until 8 p.m. On, on November 8th. Our democracy depends on your participation, and we hope you will vote. Have a great day. Thank you.